It is. I'm Charles Holmes from The Ringer Music Show. And I'm Cole Kushner from Dissect. And Charles and I are teaming up to create Last Song Standing, a new show where we determine an artist's single best song by debating our way through their entire catalog. And for our first season, we're covering Kendrick Lamar. We're talking Good Kid to Pimple Butterfly, Damn, Mr. Morale, the mixtapes, the Lucy's, and the features. Listen to Last Song Standing on the Dissect podcast feed only on Spotify. It's the full goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears. Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the full go. Love the full go. The full go. The full go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Welcome in, welcome in, everybody. This is episode 136 of the Full Go Podcast. I'm Jason Goff, and of course, I'm joined by my guys, Tony Gill and Jesse Lopez. And Jesse, I don't know if you got a chance to catch it because, you know, I know you're a big baseball guy. Uh, Tony, I I know, you know, your eyes are always on the scene. Um, I want to start by saying the entire Field of Dreams broadcast, like, is lost on me, and I understand the cultural significance of the movie, uh, but I've never seen the movie. So every one of these references, like, I know if you build it, they will come. Like, there's a whole bunch of things where, you know, it's just it's just in the in the in the lexicon. You you understand that this is something that you're going to hear. It's a one of the celebrated baseball movies. You know Kevin Costner, Ray Liotta, you, you know James Earl Jones, you know, star-studded cast. Right. Never had interest in watching a movie. Never had interest in um, you know pa- the pageantry of the movie. But in watching this game tonight, and by the way, good win for the Chicago Cubs as they beat up on a you know, terrible, terrible Cincinnati Reds team. You know, Nick Lodolo, uh, or Lodolo. Uh, he, um, it's Lodolo, right? Yeah, it's, or is it Lodolo? Yeah, Lodolo. He, he was compared to Chris Sale throughout this broadcast, and it wasn't much Chris Sale-like happenings, especially in the beginning of this game. Obviously, the Cubs jump on and put the three spot up on in the beginning of the game. And then you get to the third inning and, you know, it gets serious and real when Wilson Contreras turns that ankle and then he hobbles out into center field as the lights are shining on him and the Iowa cornfields are glistening in the background. It just, it just seemed like cosplay to me after a while. Like you got, you got dudes out in the outfield dressed in 1920s baseball uniforms who aren't a part of the Cincinnati Reds nor the Chicago Cubs. Like the beginning of it, having Ken Griffey Jr. come out with Ken Griffey Sr., <laughs> two brothers walking through the cornfields in Iowa, just, hey, you want to have, yeah, have a game of catch? I'm sorry if I'm raining on your romantic baseball parade. But Was Batman there? Did you see Batman? 
I love Batman. <laughs> I, but Spider-Man is my favorite character. Wait, you're talking about Comic-Con, right? No, dog. It <laughs> oh, was, my, it, my bad. It was, it was wild. And, and you know me. I, I'm an ass, right? So the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, so... When is the real reenactment going to take place here? When, when are y'all going to ask all the brothers and Latinos to leave the field? Uh, mm, yeah, man. I don't know why we want to glamorize that era. Yo, we let that era alone. <laughs> why, 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 why do we enjoy doing this to mm, each other, man? Yeah, as soon as, Jay, as soon as they announced it the first time that they were going to do this, I'm like, oh, y'all really not trying to grow the game. Oh, that's cap. <laughs> Y'all didn't realize Tim Anderson was excited last year because he was leaving Iowa. Like, like what? Like, what? I'm, and who made the was it? Was it Bill Burr or Louis C.K. before he got canceled? Who made the joke? Like, you know, that, that did you you as, as a white man you can jump into a time machine and go back to any era, and, and as a brother or a minority you're good till about eighty six. <laughs> 84, somewhere around there. Like, what are we doing, dog? I understand. Trust me, I understand why you're doing it. I just got to make fun of you while you're doing it. You had grown men dressed in, like, 1920s, like, socialites. Dudes going to baseball games in suits and all that. The suspenders. Like, yeah, Johnny Bench out there in suspenders. Shout out to Johnny Bench and his story, by the way, because <laughs> he filled up a whole half inning. And I was like, Johnny, go. Do your thing, man. And then you get to the eighth inning and you find out that John Smoltz's dad passed away uh, today uh, as we're taping here on Thursday. It's just, you know, it's, it's just a heavy, heavy game and all the syrup poured all over it. Just, it, if this is going to be a yearly thing, as it is, um, expect for me to have the same fun with it every single year. Like now, I'm I'm never going to watch the movie because I just want little pieces of the movie to be told to me through the Field of Dreams game. Can you imagine any other sports league doing this? Like, 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 hey, let's get let's get a band box of a gym that holds twenty five hundred people and put two peach baskets up and tell LeBron and Jason Tatum to go at it. <laughs> you feel me? Let's have a jump ball at the end at the at the end of every possession. <laughs> Jason, in, in, in my in my ignorance of the situation, I thought this was leading to like baseball theme, like movies where like movie where they go to different like regard it, it doesn't have to be based like natural movie. Or... but i thought it was i thought it was just gonna be like just movies that you build around the game yeah, was that rookie of the dope. year field game you know yeah, or major league but it's just right? major league too <laughs> yeah. yeah just just right. play no, one field, just, field. <laughs> right it's just this one movie i'm yeah. like ah okay <laughs> Yeah, I know they're going to kill us for this, but I don't care, man. I was sitting there laughing the whole game, the entire and the the, the uniform. I'm, I'm not mad at the Reds uniforms either, by the way. I, you know, I well, I was a fan of those, right? But you know, I mean, you know, it, <laughs> I can't, I can't wrap my head around like not thinking about all of that time you know like if we gonna go back in time right let's let's go ahead and take a trip <laughs> like, like yeah don't just tell me how much gas costs back then you know uh -huh. tell me how 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 much other things cost <laughs> like for instance <laughs> your life if you did the wrong thing you know like just oh my god i, I know i'm an awful person i don't apologize for it but hey they just, they just want to make baseball great again man yeah, they're doing a great job of it, man. Cause, cause if I am, and then the best part is just forcing all of the things that were forced from the, from moment one of the broadcast to the first pitch. And you can go ahead and just, you know, dissect which things you thought were forced. It's just. <laughs> Like, hey, do you want to have a game of catch? Who says that? And maybe, and, and maybe this is my, um, this, this, this is my jealous. This is my jealousy, maybe, right? This is my envy of not having, uh, you know, a, a situation where I had. I, I don't think I ever played catch with my dad. <laughs> like a glove in hand, let's go out in front and throw the ball around. I played basketball with my pops all the time. 
all, all the time, right? He, you know, he tried to kick a soccer ball around with me every once in a while, but, you know, he saw I wasn't coordinated enough to really keep up. So he, he kind of, you know, stopped being embarrassed of me and, and took me on to other ventures. But yeah, man, like maybe that's what it is. Maybe since I've never gone up to my dad and said, do you want to have a game of catch? That Maybe that's why I um, <clears throat> don't appreciate it with the the reverence that I should. But, you know, it was it was cool last year. Like, I watched a few innings. The end of the game is what I caught last year. I, I'm not even going to BS y'all. Like, the end of the game I caught last year. I'm like, oh, Tim, thank you. Appreciate you having the moment right here when I tune in. And that's that. And then we found out that the Reds and the Cubs will be playing in it this year. And we were like, uh, do the schedule makers not know that these two teams are horrible? But hey, what are you going to do? I hope everybody enjoyed the broadcast, though, because they put a lot of money into that joint. Like, you you saw some of the camera angles, the main drones out there. They, they, they did what they had to do, you know, recreating the old dugouts and all that other stuff. And, and shout out to James K, too, by the way, who... Uh, covers the Chicago sky. You should, you should follow James. He's a, he's a, he's a good follow. Uh, shout out to him because he, he put out a list of the, the baseball movies of note. And, uh, by the way, it's James underscore M underscore K. If you want to check him out, I love following him because he, uh, he does the Chicago sky justice along with, you know, Gene and, and Terrence and all the, the bigs, the people who cover the sky on a nightly basis. And shout out to the sky too, by the way. Right. Because, you know, at the end of this season, whether they win the championship or not, I, I saw James writing about them uh, racking up in the awards department or at least getting, you know, a lot of finalists for a lot of these awards in terms of all WNBA defensive teams, defensive player of the year, you know, MVP votes them that are going to go uh, to 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 Meesman. So, you know, these are the things that I, I peruse on on Twitter and James K threw out there a, uh, a list of baseball movies. And I, I have fallen far short when it comes to the baseball movie watching that, uh, than I thought I did, but I haven't seen a lot of these baseball movies. Like, you know, I haven't seen sugar. I've seen a league of their own. Um, I haven't seen bull Durham. Haven't seen the natural seen Sandlot. Uh, haven't seen for the love of the game. I've seen eight men out, seen Moneyball, haven't seen 61. Of course, we've seen the rookie, and of course, we've seen Major League. So shout out to James for putting out this list. And also shout out to to uh, Shakia. <laughs> shout out to, to Shake because she also tweeted out uh, CC Sabathia talking to Tim Anderson about uh, the Field of Dreams game. It was the funniest moment, I believe, on Twitter because if if you if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, we'll be able to work this into the broadcast, right? We'll, we'll be able to edit this in, but this is what it sounded like. You're gonna play in the Field of Dreams game this year, yeah, for Yankees oh, yeah. White Sox. Yeah. What do you what are your thoughts on it? I don't know know much about it. I ain't seen the movie or nothing. That's what I I keep telling this motherfucker. <laughs> Black people don't give a fuck yeah, about Field of Dreams, playing no fucking corn. Real, we don't care about none of that shit, bro. We don't. Like, we don't, at man. all. I keep trying yeah, to explain this shit. I, don't even, I just play baseball because I'm good at I've it, I've never man. seen Field hey. of Dreams in my life. No, I wasn't I mean, leading you to say positive things. I was just leading you to say things. I don't really know what to expect. I don't really know what to expect, but I'm going to be ready to play, though, when it's time. I ain't seen that movie in my life, bro. Never. <laughs> I'm telling. I keep trying to explain that. Yeah, I never seen that. Man. When I tried to get you to watch one tree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You Same seen shit. life? See, yeah, I've seen. Okay, life. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I just want to know. You know, uh, most white people ain't seen uh, it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so, guys. I don't think you've seen life. I've seen life. You yes, sure? Seen, I'm a hundred percent. Friday. Eddie Murphy's in life. Friday. Who else? And, uh, Friday next Friday. Friday next. Who else is in life? Okay, all the Fridays. I hear you. I love all the Fridays. No, it's been a long. Since I've seen life, but I've seen it. Ah, I love tormenting Orion Ruoko, but shout out to uh, Tim Anderson last year when he was happy, right? Did, did you hear that in his voice just now? Did you hear the, the joy? <laughs> did you hear the, 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 the verve? Huh? Did you hear the crispness, the, the, the smile coming through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. While he's on the men right now for the Chicago White Sox, uh, having that finger surgery, going to be out four to six weeks. And uh, speaking of the Chicago White Sox, how about those guys, huh? The White Sox don't deserve Dylan Cease. It's as simple as that, man. 
They they don't it, 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 this year especially. Dylan Cease has set a major league record and continues to uh, extend it for starts where he's allowed one or no runs consecutively. It's up to the fourteen now. Dylan Cease goes out there, twirls a gem against the apparently vaunted uh, Kansas City Royals lineup, and Joe Kelly, who's been horrible or hurt. I won't say horrible. Man, he's been bad. Let's just keep it funky. He's been bad. He's been bad or hurt for most of the year. Uh, a guy that you brought in to show up the back end of that bullpen, him and Kendall, you thought it was going to be Kelly, Kendall Graveman, and give it over to Liam Hendricks, and you're going to get yourself, you know, your 90-plus wins and get on up out of there. Well, guess what? The White Sox dropped three or four to the Kansas City Royals. They are now 8-8 eight and eight inside of their 19-game stretch against sub-500 teams. They go 3-5, and five, I believe, on this road trip. I mean, what, what more can you say about a team that doesn't battle in at-bats? It happened again today. They had Zach Grinke on the ropes three different times in the first four innings. And guess what? Let him off the ropes each time. Each time. Zach Grinke gave up 11 hits today. And you can say he scattered them because he got the win because that's what you're supposed to say. And, and meanwhile... Tony LaRusso is talking about, you know, you don't luck into 11 hits. Our guys went out there and competed. Well, guess what? In scoring situations, in situational baseball situations, the White Sox don't battle. And you got Steve Stone talking about guys not hustling, and that being the difference between winning and losing. Like, this thing right now is getting more and more sour as the days go by. As the calendar turns now to the first, you know, the second week of August here, and we're getting closer and closer to September where you should, you know, at some point kick this thing into gear, the White Sox are still treading water against teams that they should not be treading water against. They should be bludgeoning these teams, whether it be the Rangers, the, the A's, the Royals. Meanwhile, they're going 500 because they're a 500 team. Dylan Cease doing his thing. Johnny Cueto off the scrap heap. Johnny Cueto is now your second best pitcher. And guess what? Johnny Cueto is out here talking about fire. A guy who just got into this clubhouse, just got into that dugout, is, is referring to a team not playing with enough, quote-unquote, fire. But here's Tony Garusa to put it on out and say, these are the kind of things we want to handle in-house. And, you know, this you handle it amongst family. We'll, we'll get it straightened out. And Nah, man. This is a dude who got dropped inside your clubhouse and told the truth. I'm happy Johnny Cueto said something. If he didn't say it to them beforehand, he ain't got to say nothing. They know they, Andrew Vaughn knows this is a 500 team. Gavin Sheets knows this is a 500 team. You know, Yasmani Grandal knows that. They, and, and we wouldn't be feeling about this team. We wouldn't feel this way about this team, I should say, if we didn't have high expectations. That's the kicker. You know, people are acting like, because now it's getting real weird in this city about how we're referring to the White Sox and who's to blame. And is it Rick Hahn's fault or is it Tony LaRusso's fault? Well, let's get on the bandwagon of, oh, it's all the players' fault. Screw the players. Well, guess what? You ain't trading the players. Okay? And, and if Frank Minichino's job is going to be sacrificed for it, if Frank Minichino can't, he can't, he can't press the battle late in, 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 in pitchers' counts or with runners in scoring position button. He can't, he can't hit the, the stop swinging your pitches outside the zone button. So when you, when you, you, you cast Frank Minichino aside, you ain't going to do that with Ethan Katz because Ethan Katz seems like he is one of the stars in the game, the up-and-coming stars in the game. Uh, but you ain't going to do that with him because of what the pitching staff has, one, had to work with, and two, been okay with. It's this lineup. It's this offense. You got a bunch of shiny, great-looking players who haven't produced. It's as simple as that. It's about three or four, and I tweeted about it today. It's about three or four guys on this team who could look in the mirror and say, I'm producing at or above my expectation level. And then after that, you got a bunch of underperformers, and it speaks to how talented this, I keep saying it, it speaks to how talented this team is that they're 500. It also speaks to how bad this division is. The, the, the White Sox should be up seven games in this division. Easy. Easy. Think about what we were talking about coming into this season. All right, right field and second base might be an issue, but they're going to be able to bash the ball. Hit home runs, you'll play over all the bad defense and bad base run. Well, guess what? They haven't hit home runs. And guess what? They can't play over the bad defense, and they can't play over the bad base running. 
dropping three out of four to the Royals, man, when, when, when every single game, you put yourself in a position where every single game is so critical. I, I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Now Johnny Cueto's calling the, the, the clubhouse out. Tony La Russa's there to put out that fire. You, you lose three out of four against the Royals. I, I, I just don't understand, man. And now with this team as presently constituted, you have to now have Jose Abreu play damn near every single day on the way out here. Yasmani Grandal every single day. Like, guys, there is no rest coming for any of you. You put yourself in this position, you got to get on out of it. We were talking about Luis Robert as an MVP dark horse candidate this year. And there are weeks where Luis, when he's on the field, looks like, you know, Bo Jackson, Mike Trout, everything rolled into one. And then there's games where he is lost, especially at the plate. They throw him up there in the leadoff spot today, gets on base a couple of times. But what did the Sox do? Not drive him in. There was an inning where the Sox had three singles and didn't score a run. Like, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Station to station baseball, but change is swinging. Everybody looks good. Everybody's waving hi, mom. No, everybody looks good in the parking lot on the way out. We wouldn't talk this way about this team if the expectations weren't high. The expectations aren't being met, and all we're hearing is middling comments from from the people that are in charge. All we're hearing is Tony DeRusa checking his, his team through the media because apparently his team can't talk about each other through the media. Like, this shit is, it's just, it's rotten. It's just, it doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good. Sox fans wait, you know, (laughs) every half a decade for these moments. Wait every half a decade or so for these moments where it's a run-up to a good run. And somewhere along the line, the White Sox forgot to take their cool off while they were being celebrated as the next big thing. Well, guess what? Next big thing has to be big at some point. And they played small all damn season long. And this Royal Series is more of the same. Coming up next, we get a chance to talk to the OG himself, Olin Krutz, former Bears center, 15-year NFL vet, and a guy who I want to talk offensive line with because this Bears offensive line is going to be atrocious. So that's coming up next right here on The Full Go. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. It's good to see you, man. It's good, good to, to see you too, man. Yeah. yeah, it's good to see you. It's uh, I've I've shared text messages with you, and uh, I, I you already know, you know, I, I rock with you in a major way. Uh, when you're up, when you're down, no matter what. Um, I want to talk to you about this team, though. For sure. So, an offensive line. You you know you are like people grew up with Jay Hilgenberg and you know the great centers of of Bears past. I always tell you this and I say it to anybody that I, I encounter like for my period of Bears football where well, I really got invested as a fan and and could do something about it and felt the way about it not just a child watching the 80s Bears or the early 90s uh, early early 90s Bears with Dick like you were the center that I grew up with Right. And seeing now what's happening with this Bears offensive line, I remember being outside of Bourbonnet cafeteria and you, you walking in the middle and you having the guys on the left and on the right. And I'm like, damn, they, they, they walking like a flock of birds would fly. Like they, <laughs> they, they walking in unison. And it was a, it was a camaraderie and it's a togetherness that you guys had to have to play as well as you guys played for what Lovey Smith was asking of you. 
When you throw together this kind of offensive line, new regime, new coaching staff, second-year quarterback, how do you form that identity that you guys who eventually went to that Super Bowl game in Miami, how do you, how do you build towards that? Because guys are going to get switched in and out. Injuries are going to happen. But how do you set a tone? And what do you think Matt Eberflus is trying to preach early on in his first campaign? Yeah, it, it's a big question because two things now. I played on good offensive lines and I played on very bad offensive lines, right? And the good offensive lines I played on, we had a lot of talent. There were a lot of good football players, you know, from right to left. In 2005 and 2006, talking about Fred Miller, a very good friend of mine. Shout out to <laughs> Roberto Fred. Gar- Roberto Garza, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, Ruben Brown, nine-time Pro Bowler, probably right on the edge of being a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. John Tate, we went and got from the Kansas City Chiefs because, again, even back then, we couldn't draft a left tackle and fix that position. So we had to go get John Tate. We drafted Mark Colombo, but you remember, uh, he dislocated his kneecap. Right? Yeah, so champagne, right? There. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we played some good football there for two, a two-year span about, right? And then uh, before that, in 2001 season, it was uh, um, Big Cat, Chris Valerio, Rex Tucker, and then we had to go get Blake Brockemeyer for the Carolina Panthers. And at that time, they gave him the biggest contract for a left tackle in the NFL. So a lot of times when the Bears have fixed their left tackle position, it has been via free agency, right? They have not gone out and drafted a guy to, that actually fixed it. So this year now, they come in 2019, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy sit on the stage and tell you the offensive line is a problem. Ryan Pose basically comes in, gets the job. He tells you the offensive line is a problem. They don't do much to fix it yet. Everybody's waiting for next year. Everybody say we're going to develop young guys. All of a sudden, they got Braxton Jones at left tackle. That is a big job for a young rookie. And it seems to me, golf that they moved all this competition out, that they moved everybody else over to right tackle, which is strange to me, not to, not to give any competition to him, but maybe they want to give him all the reps. So let's see what he's got. Uh, I, watching his college film, I thought he had a lot of tools, little worried about him taking on the bull rush, little worried about his run blocking. Uh, you go through this line now, Lucas Patrick. The Chicago Bears told you what they think about Lucas Patrick, what they think about Schofield, about what they paid. I don't got to tell you what they are. The, the starting centers in this league right now, the starting guards in this league right now, make 15-plus million a year. They gave these guys $2 million a year, and they gave Schofield league minimum. I don't got to tell you what they think of them. Right. They told you what they think about Payne. So now all of a sudden, they expect these guys to take some jump to become dominant football players. Cody Whitehair needs to take a step. This offensive line, again, we're going through the season, is a major question mark. But I would tell you this, man, like you said, you would see us walking together some days and we wouldn't even have an inch between us. And we were all ready for a fight to break out. There were some times in when I played when I knew we had to be great in the sum of our parts. And by that, I mean we had to work together. We had to be like a family. We had to get each other's back. We had to slowly get better every day because I knew when that season started, we weren't going to be very good. 2010, we were terrible. We gave nine sacks in New York against the Giants. We ended up in the NFC Championship just game just because we got a little better every year. They need guys, golf. They need guys to have the career year. They need guys to have the career season. They need guys to take a jump. Uh, and this is across the offense. You can go across every position, man. I don't yeah. know. Really, if I told you I knew what was going to go on, I don't. I don't. Chris Morgan, the O-line coach, has a huge job in front of him to develop these football players. And with Luke Getze, you, you, you get a chance now to shine on a different level, on a different stage, and call the plays. How does this hamper his offense when you're trying to figure out how a team or offensive line, I should say, with a lot of new parts is going to gel together while Matt Eberflus is trying to play an outside zone running scheme? Like, how did, what does it do? Do you keep in a tight end? Do you keep in a blocking back? Like, what, how does it, what do you expect to see the first couple of weeks, not just preseason, but the first couple of weeks of the season while, while Luke Getze is trying to figure out what he has on that offensive line and how his offense can best look like itself while also protecting the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, you know as well as I do, they're an outside zone scheme, right? They're from the Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan tree. So Explain that to people to see, who don't know. Right. You expect to see the outside zone. You expect to see the run game. An outside zone is more... We're trying to get this defense running side to side. We're not trying to move guys off the ball. We're just trying to crease them. It's a one cut 
I'm going to get this defense running, and hopefully we find one free somebody gets out of their lane. And then this exact same look, and you see it on Twitter now with uh, Justin Fields trying to run and trying to sell that bootleg, sell that fake, and then boot out with his speed. Uh, he's going to be hard to handle out there. So that's what you expect to see. Now it's half-field reads. He doesn't have to do the progression stuff in the pocket. He doesn't have to get the ball out so fast that Coach Nagy was making him do last year. It's not just the offensive line, five guys on the defensive front. It's more of a run game. It's more movement. That's why they had the offensive linemen lose weight, right? You're going to see everybody's shoulders on the same path, and hopefully we can crease them somewhere and get up the field and just get chunks in the pass game by booting our quarterback out and getting somebody open. But with this offense, you say, okay, what is Luke Getze going to do? He's got a big job, man, because this wide receiver core, I can say the same thing about them. As right. I say about the offensive line, I don't know who scares you. I know Bayless Jones, everyone's excited about getting a ball in his hands. He's dynamic. Alex Brown always says, can you go 88 out the gate? That's what they need, right? Darnell Mooney, does he take a step? Uh, their, their whole offense, Jason, when I look at them, I'm thinking, can they all be greater than a sum of their parts? Can they all work together? They have to run. They got to have a receiver. They got to run Hunter Renfro route. They got to be perfect out there, man. They got to hit it and go, and they got to run at the exact depth, and they have to work together like a unit. And now you got a new offensive coordinator. You got a new coach staff all working together. This is going to be really, really interesting. First of all, you're excited for the young players to get a chance to see if we can get somebody, man, get somebody to the top 10 of their position, even top 12. I mean, I don't know. Name a guy on the offense who's top 10 in the NFL at his position. The only guy that's creeping up towards that would be David Montgomery, right? I mm -hmm. mean, in terms yeah. of his production over the last three years. And we know he's going to get the ball. I have to see him in the outside zone, right? You talk about outside zone. Well, let's talk about outside zone. Let's talk about right. who's really important. Let's talk about George Kittle. Let's talk about Mercedes Lewis. Let's talk about tight ends who can seal the edge block. Now let's talk about Cole Komet. He's got to take a step, man. Got to take a step. It is run block. I know they talk about Griffin. They like Griffin on the edge blocking. Mm -hmm. But you want to have a dual threat out there, right? You want to have a guy who also can threaten you in a pass game. So they need their tight ends to take a step. Uh, this is kind of a growing year for Chicago Bears, a de developmental year. And it all happens when we got to see what Justin Fields got. So they got a very interesting year coming their way. What do you make of the Tevin Jenkins situation and the profile that Ryan Poles is trying to create on that offensive line? You know, James Daniels, the guy who came up in your system, you don't, you know, you let him walk. Uh, you know, Tevin Jenkins, second round pick, it's another guy's pick. So you, you can say, I don't need that. But on a team where you're trying to amass as much talent as possible, is kicking him inside not uh, a, a, an available option like head? I just wonder what kind of rift can happen or what kind of player profile can you just so starkly be opposed to that a second-round talent who a lot of people thought might be a first-round talent doesn't have a spot on your football team. Yes, it's really interesting because of the things you said, right? And remember, you go all the way back to the offseason, and they went after Brian Allen. They went after Brian Allen for the Rams. They didn't get him, and that's how we got to Lucas Patrick trying to upgrade over Sam Mustafer. Now Lucas Patrick breaks his thumb, and we're right back to Sam Mustafer. But as far as Tevin Jenkins goes, he is the most talented offensive lineman they have on that field. When you see the guy run, when you see him move his feet, when you know why people were excited about him coming out of the draft. So like you said, uh, I am not in the building. All I can imagine is that he has a back problem. Uh, him and some coach aren't vibing. But look, um, you have to develop. Like, like you said, they don't have a lot of talent there. So you're just saying, we don't need this guy. We're just gonna put, uh, I wish we put Braxton Jones there. We're just going to leave him. We're just going to leave him a left tackle. And, and we're just going to trust him with that job. And And Gosh, does all of Chicago, all of Illinois hope they're right, that this Braxton Jones is a, some kind of fine. But to just say, Tevin Jenkins, uh, we're going to try to guard at right tackle, but we're not going to put you back at left tackle. We're not going to put anybody back there to challenge for a job. Riley Reef came in, we put him in left tackle for two or three plays, and then move him back to right tackle. Uh, you know, he's had some injuries. Uh, they have so many questions there that the fact that they could, and if there were rumors, I don't know if it was true, that they were trying to trade Tevin Jenkins, right? Right. But the fact that all of a sudden he comes back, I got to see. I got to see him and what they do with him in the Chiefs game. Uh, I, I hate to see him at right guard all of a sudden. And he could probably play there. I don't know what it'd be. But if you're telling me your system requires a, a, a swift-footed tackle, <laughs> the, the guard has to get on the second level. 
the guards got to go block linebackers. Then you're going to put an oversized right tackle at right guard. I just start to get a little confused at what they're trying to figure out there. But I think Luke Getzi told you exactly where they were. I think he let slipped out. He said, man, we don't know what we got on the offensive line right now. But I would sit in the room and say, Luke, you don't know what you got anyway. You have no idea what you got a quarterback, wide receiver, tight end. You don't know what you're – I mean, David Montgomery is about the surest thing they got in Cleo Herbert. But you don't know what you got there either in the outside zone system. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. So you've been a part of coaches getting the gig and wanting to implement their way of life, uh, going hard very early. Matt Eberflus came in, uh, introductory press conference, and said, hey, get your track shoes ready. He's brought players from the Colts that speak the language that he was speaking over there on the defensive side of the football. And we've seen, what, 21 guys on the injury report here in the first 13 days of practice. How do first-time head coaches and new head coaches to a system and to an organization, how do they implement what they want physically without wearing down a team? You know, because I, I could look at it like, hey, man, if you guys were good enough, you guys probably wouldn't have to work this hard because you still have the same head coach, right? So how do you, how do you kind of middle that as a, as a locker room and also what a coaching staff has to do to take care uh, of, of the roster? Yeah, it, it seems to me like the guys from this coaching tree, tree, they don't middle that, right? They just go. We saw Lovey. Lovey came in 2004, and half our roster was on IR. And we had a <laughs> terrible year, but he set the culture, right? He set the culture. We came back the next year, and guess what? In year nine of my NFL career, I did a one-a-day for the first time in my life. I didn't even know what that was. We did a one-a-day. So me and Ruben, we saw it was one-a-day. We decided we were going to go drink at the bar that night because we didn't even know. I mean, if you're only doing one-a-day, we might as well have a few beers, right? But uh, while he sets his culture, while he looks for leaders, I don't see him slowing down much, man. You see they have a lot of injuries right now. They have some soft tissue. They have some major injuries. They have injuries at positions. They don't need injuries. At. They don't need injuries at nickel cornerback. They don't need injuries at wide receiver. But they got them there right now. They got these guys running. They got these guys playing a little higher tempo uh, than they're used to. Now, I don't know. Maybe he will pull back about week two or three. Hopefully they don't lose anybody important, but it really seems like to me uh, from upper management down, this is kind of a bump year, man, where they're just kind of saying, look, we're going to, we're going to put our culture in place. Any players who go against us, we'll just, we'll just help them on out the door. And this is the way we're going to do things. And hopefully it changes what's been going on at Hallis Hall because they have not won a lot of football games. Speaking of uh, this is the way we're going to do things and implementing a change. Ryan Poles had his first stare down very early in his GM tenure with Roquan Smith, who is, you know, I don't think arguably he's the, he's the most talented. He's the best player on the team. Mm -hmm. uh, and and he's, he's also the guy that younger players are looking to. And I, it's crazy because he's, what, 24, 25 years old. Mm -hmm. But guys mm -hmm. who are around his age or rookies are looking to like, okay, I want to see how they're going to handle this with this dude. Like, he's worked his ass off. He's earned what he's earned. And he's come into it. And now... 
the the way that this game is being played, I, I see Matt Eberflus having to comment on something where he has to directly deal with both parties, and you kind of gotta you gotta make sure your locker room is okay, but you also gotta make sure your employer is cool with what you're saying. I, I think about LB, your friend and mine, Lance Briggs. That's mm-hmm. why his ass yeah. is ducking me. He was supposed to come on last pod, and <laughs> and he's supposed to come on this pod as well. I think of Lance, and you were yeah. you were around when Lance made his trade demands, and all of a sudden you. I was in the studio, I look up on the TV, I see him on Partner Interruption and ESPN. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? When when a star player or a player of that stature makes that kind of demand and then a team takes him off the PUP list, kind of saying, okay, if you want to make trade demands, now it's time to, for the NFL to come in and start fining you for not practicing. Um, wh- how do you, as a fellow teammate, view situations like that. You don't want to be in anybody else's pockets, but at the same, like how how does that affect the locker room, if at all? It does. It always affects the locker room, especially when it's the only guy on your team who's plays at an elite level, right? Roquan Smith is the only guy, young guy, you know, obviously uh, Robert Quinn played an elite level pass rusher last year. But the only 25-year-old guy, the only piece of your franchise that may be there for years, the only guy we talked about earlier, if someone cracked the top 10 of their position on offense, here's the only guy under 30 who's in the top 10 of his position on any part of the team. You say Jalen Johnson, maybe, but he's got to show me. Eddie Jackson, hopefully, can come back up and play at a high level. The middle of this Chicago Bears defense, though, without Roquan Smith, is Nicholas Morrow, Angelo Blackson, and Justin Jones. As a former center, let's run right downhill. Let's run straight at him. I'm going to run straight at him without Roquan there. So, um, Remember now, when Lance Briggs is going through it, uh, Lance Briggs is making trade demands, but there was a Hall of Fame linebacker already there standing there on the field, right? This guy is the only guy there. So I'm a little confused at what the argument the Bears have. Now, um, they, you know, Fred Warner and Shaquille, I don't want to get his name mixed up, Shaquille Darius Leonard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they both got $90 million about. They're both in about the $19 million a year range. Seems like a no-brainer for me to for Roquan. I know Roquan hasn't made as many big plays Let's say Darius Leonard. I know Roquan, maybe not in good as coverage as Fred Warner. Fred Warner's a great coverage uh, linebacker. I went back and looked, and I'll read you this quote because I'm, you're, you're looking for reasons. What is the reasons why a general manager, upper manager, will pay guys that extra money they want? Okay, John Lynch said about Fred Warner when he signed him, signed him Fred brings the type of leadership and energy every day that our defense and team feeds off of. He earned this extension through hard work, discipline, and the professional way he goes about his business. When you're looking for reasons why Roquan's not paid, that's the only thing I can think. It's the only thing I can think of the holdup is. Now, we're just guessing. We don't know what the argument is in that room. Right. But what what gives you that million or two million or makes you the highest paid guy in the league? You do everything right. Right. And, and Roquan, like you said, I mean, I'm a former player. I still have a hard time commenting on a guy's contract situation, right? right, right? right. But if, if he came to me as a young guy, I said, Roquan, man, you're a hell of a linebacker. Show them. Show them. Why not? Why not get on the field and show them you running around? Give them no choice, man. Give them, and I know you're taking a chance. We're all taking a chance when we get out there. You but went through this with Roquan, Devin too, right? With Devin. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I remember in 2000 and the 2002 playoff game against Philadelphia. I was a free agent after that year. R.W. McCorders got paid. Brian Robinson got paid. Um, Jerry Angelo came to me mid-season, and he made me a pretty good offer. And at that time, I was, I think I was 24 years old. Some people were saying I was the best center in the NFL. Damn right. Um, so they made me an offer, and being a, guy, a young kid from Hawaii, I was pretty excited about this offer. And I, <laughs> my agent, Mark Bartlestein, and Rick Smith, Priority Sports, based in Chicago, shout out to them, probably the best agents I, I know of. Um, they said, Olin, wait, man, you're going to get more. And, and Jerry said, you're not. You're not going to get more money on the open market. Sometimes other people view you better than your own team, right? So uh, you, you hear some things. It can get really personal. Uh, you know, look, uh, the players, I don't know if it's the same. I know when I played, it's 3% before taxes. That makes zero sense to me. Zero sense, <laughs> right? So some of these players, I think now are saying, hell, I just do it myself. Why right. would I pay a guy 3% before taxes? That, that's crazy to me. So I think it's Roquan's doing, but golf, man, if they come to you and they say, you're not as good as you think you are and all this, I heard 
uh, uh, knowing some of the guys well that the, the Bears went to negotiations with this year, I heard some things, they comments they said to those guys. And some of those things rubbed those guys the wrong way too. Some of those guys called me and said, man, if I ever see that guy on the street, the guy hmm. who was doing the, 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 right, the right, negotiating, right? right? So uh, some of this stuff can get personal. Uh, you know, for me, I tell young guys, just tell your agent, give you your last, give them the last number. Whatever the, the number is all you care about, right? Whatever the number is. But um, I, I, I got to imagine they figure out a way to pay Roquan Smith. I mean, he's a homegrown talent. They don't have a lot of talent on this team, right? This team, this team sometimes, I hate to say this, but sometimes it reminds me of like the last years of the Dave Wanstead era. A lot of character mm. guys. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of very good football players, right? So um, they got to watch that too. You got to get yourself good football players in that building. You got to get yourself guys who can make plays. What's important for Justin Fields this year? And I just, I, preseason, you know, people are going to feel how they feel about preseason football. What, what does he have to see and be this year, especially with the limited options for big plays around him? Uh, he's got to be a force multiplier. And I know that's easy to say, but he's got to make everybody around him better. He's going to have to do that on this offense. He's got to make his coach better. He's got to be a leader in that building, get guys lined up, uh, get guys moving in the right direction for his own game. He just got to slowly, incrementally get better in the pocket, delivering the ball faster, getting it out. The things you hear about with all quarterbacks, but, um, Man, he's a dynamic football player. When he gets out there and he gets running, uh, he, he, he made – I remember last year when he made Nick Bosa look slow. I remember Shaftesville 49ers game, that play he made. I remember against the Steelers. I, oh. I remember watching the game against the Steelers. The that terrible towels waving. I remember him walking in the huddle. And, and I, was thinking, I was thinking to myself, well, they're going to score a touchdown. Just by the way he walked in the huddle. The way he was calling plays. You remember he slipped out to the left and hit Mooney in the back of that end zone. And, and we're like – I don't know about you. I know the next week they saw Baltimore. He got injured, and it was yeah. kind of a tough year from there. But that's the kind of stuff you have to see. You got to see a guy who's a difference maker, the guy who wins football games at the end of games, the guy who we've never seen in a Chicago Bears uniform. Which quarterback did you enjoy playing the most for and with? Uh, you know, it's always hard for me. I played for 50. You know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed uh, early in my career. Uh, I'll cut him in half. I, early in my yeah. career, I, re- I really enjoyed Jim Miller. I, I really thought Jim, um, I thought he studied the game. I thought he worked hard. I thought he X's and O's. I thought he got the ball out. Uh, I thought he was like one of the guys. I, I thought he had a good way of bringing the team together. I uh, learned a lot about leadership from Jim Miller and Ted Washington, James Big Cat Williams, and these kind of guys. Uh, and then as we went on, man, I mean, really Kyle Orton and Rex Grossman. Rex was, Rex was an interesting guy. He was a gunslinger, uh, but he was always ready to compete. He was always ready to get after. Kyle Orton was kind of like a Jim Miller type, right? Like he was just kind of always hanging out with the guys and trying to learn the game and do the best he could, whereas Rex was like, man, uh, I'm going to make that throw. And you're like, Rex, don't, don't throw that ball. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he made a lot of big plays on the way they to did. Bowl that year. But, man, I mean, gosh, uh, golf, if you roll through – uh, you know, I had Cordell Stewart, man. I, I had Brian Greasy. I had Steve Stenstrom, Eric Kramer. I had Jim Miller. I had Shane Matthews. I mean, I Cade McNown. I was there for Cade McNown when Cade got drafted, right? So uh, I've snapped like Jay Cutler. Jay was a hell of a talent, man. Hell of a talent. I, I thought when I, when me, when me and Jay played together, um, I thought he had some development. He had to develop a little bit. We all do, right? We all do at a young age. We all like to learn how to be a pro, but uh, he still made a ton of plays. So. Uh, enjoyed, gosh, I mean, when you asked me, you know, like Jeff Saturday, he snapped through Peyton Manning his whole career, right? right. I mean, it was, and then at the end of my career, I got to w- go down and see greatness. And Drew Brees was, was something I've never seen before. I, I remember being on the field, uh, we opened up that year against Green Bay. And remember, that was the lockout year, and it didn't work out with the Bears. Um, and I went down there in like week two of camp. So I didn't get any offseason with them. And um, so we opened up in Green Bay. And I remember, and I think it went up like 14 or 10 zero or something. And Drew walks over and he goes, Olin. I go, yeah. He goes, we're going no huddle. I said, cool, man. So they put Sproles in that, that running back position. He was running routes on AJ Hop. 
And I was telling AJ, you ain't got a chance no more. Another for wheel routes. They got, they got, they got it covered too. Because they kept calling H-back option. I go, AJ, like, you're done, bro. Like, this is going to be. Anyway, I looked up at one point now, playing on my whole career with the Chicago Bears. I looked at one point. It was like 42 to 40, you know? And I looked over at Carl Nixon. I was like, you know, what I realized he was what I go, the center doesn't really matter, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, Drew, listen, the guys, the guys weren't even playing seven on seven. The guys weren't even rushing. Like, because Drew's getting the ball out so fast, right? The ball is just coming out. The linebacker's running at me. I was ready to block him golf. He just just jump in the air trying to block the ball. Right. It was something else, man. I think every game I played in that year, they averaged like 40 points a game. And then the other center went in and they averaged like 40 points oh, a game. So I didn't really know. You know, it wasn't right, it's me or not, right? right? <laughs> you got all it in the background, like, man, just hold it down to 28 a game when oh, y'all playing with him, man. I remember, so, so that game against Green Bay, I, I think I remember this correctly. We got down to like the one-yard line to win the game. Okay. And I, I'm an offensive lineman. You know me. I love running the ball. Yeah. Sean Payton called goal line formation. Okay, we're going to run it in. I'm in the huddle like, why? We should be in five wides. Like, get a ball to Drew. Out. Get a ball to Drew and let it. Hey, let the magician work. <laughs> look, look at what New Orleans did to Olin. Oh, sent them down man. there and turned him into you know Jerry Glanville out of nowhere. I got the, as far as quarterbacks go, I got the experience. I yes, mean, sir. about every one of them you could imagine. Why is it? You know, because I, I don't believe a, a, a town or a city or a uniform can't get the offensive side of the football right. And then we get into the things about the, the bear weather and all this other stuff. Why do you think this organization has had such a tough time with not just the quarterback position, but offense as a whole? You know, I remember Curtis Cram and I'm um, Curtis Conway and Jeff Graham getting thousand yard seasons together, and it was like, oh my God, do you see what's going Marcus on? Marcus Robinson, remember yeah, Marcus yeah. Robinson's year, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there's these these there's these two or three year blips of like, oh, there it is, and then the back into the lull of three yards and a cloud of dust feeling, and it's not the same, obviously, because the run game is not what it used to be, but it's just why 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 can't Bears offensive football over the last three decades, four decades, whatever it is, why can't it look like the other teams in the NFL or the upper echelon teams in the NFL? Yeah, there's a little luck involved in getting a Tom Brady, right? There's a little luck in getting the guy that late in a draft. But if you're talking about just the Chicago Bears, and, and, and as you know, as I've, as I've moved over to analyst work, I've studied them a lot. I've mm-hmm. looked over their drafts and I've looked over their history, especially on the offense side of the ball, just because, like you said, I was a part of a lot of years that we struggled. We struggled, and it was like I looked up uh, from my center position. It was like goal line, right? It was like everyone's in the box. And I remember going to New Orleans and thinking, where is everybody? <laughs> right? we were, I, I, I told the office line in New Orleans, I go, guys, like, this isn't even the NFL, what you guys are playing. Like, this is nuts. But um, so I think, golf, and, and this is just my guess, man, and mm-hmm. you can look at it yourself. And I, I encourage all fans to look at it. Um, I don't know if anybody in that building really studies their history. And they seem to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, right? Like, like just that's why this year, like, um, when I saw them, yes, Kyler Gordon's a good player. Brisker's a good player. Guys, get an offensive lineman. Like, get somebody on the offensive side of the ball. Like, it, it's not rocket science here. That's why you're not getting better on that side of the ball, right? I remember, um, what year was it when they signed Julius? They signed Pep. I went up oh, to love yeah. it. I love you, man. Our offensive line is terrible. And Lovey said, big guy, we're going to get you some help. And I said, okay, cool, man. Awesome. <laughs> so I wake up to free agency and decide Julius Peppers to play with Erlacher, two Hall of Famers, right? And, and, and then the whole year, everybody's asking me in my locker, Olin, what's wrong with the offensive line? Like, man, like, come on, do the math, man. The money I mean, is standing on. over there. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually, I think, I think it's, it's more part of Chicago history than anything. Everybody cheers for other positions to get picked up and drafted and it complains about the offensive line the whole year. I always want to tell all the analysts, like, if you cheered for someone else to get drafted, you are not allowed to talk about the <laughs> offensive line. You're not allowed anymore to say the offensive line is bad and they're the problem of the team. So if you look at the history of drafting guys, guys with injury problems, guys with injury history, not taking offensive linemen, uh, taking quarterbacks, changing the coordinators in and out every year, not developing these guys. I mean, it's over and over and over again, right? So. Um, 
that that to me, uh, in that building, they just got to eventually get everything together, put it on a board and say, look, guys, this is all the things we've done wrong. This is all the way it didn't work. Look, Kevin Jenkins had back surgery, right? Chris Williams had back surgery. Okay, I immediately like, thought like of just, Chris Williams it just when, when it happened. Yeah, yeah, it just—it's yeah. a cycle, man, that keeps repeating itself, and and eventually, like, if Kevin Jenkins—I I know what everybody says—if Kevin Jenkins is a second round pick, he transcends scheme, guys. The scheme don't matter. He can do it. He can like, just look at San Francisco's line. Look at Green. You're telling me Runyon, the left guard for the Packers who played last year, is a better athlete than Kevin Jenkins? No, no, Bulaga. Bulaga played in there for years. Bulaga don't run like Kevin Jenkins. What are we talking about here, guys? What we're talking about is nonsense, things that don't make sense, things that actually don't work out. And now these guys are just going to keep not. I, I, I don't want to talk for pose them. The guys before them just kept repeating the same mistakes. And you're almost watching saying, man, are they really going to the season with this group again? And they did. They go in with the same group. And you're like, this ain't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I think this is going to be a long, long season, and I hope we see as many players as possible because, like you said, you got to got to start to build the crust of this thing all over again. And uh, Bears fans are in a uh, all too familiar position where we're going to watch a team rebuild. Uh, first preseason game, you know this this is coming out obviously uh, tonight or late tonight, early Friday morning. People will be listening to it right before Saturday's preseason game. What do you expect to see, and what do guys in an NFL locker room think or expect or experience in that first lead-up to a first preseason game? Well, I, I think this new regime, I've, I've been a part of a couple of new regimes. I think they want to you know, make it like a regular game week. So the guys start to get used to them during a regular game week. With this offense, like we just talked about, I expect to see them a lot. I expect to see these guys. I expect to see Robert Quinn on the sideline early. I don't expect to see anybody else over there. I expect to see see this group playing a lot of football. Now, it's not going to be NFL-level football, but I expect Braxton, Braxton Jones to play four quarters. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he be out there that long getting work, as much work as he can in this system against whoever he can go against, right? So you expect to see a lot of Coach Eberflus' starters We'll see what happens. I, mean, I, don't want, I don't know if you want to put Justin Fields in that much, you know, a situation where he could actually get hurt. But you want to see him continue to develop in this offense and as many reps as they can get. So uh, overall, I mean, look, we talked about the offense this year be, uh, on this podcast because I played offense, and that's what a lot of people want to talk about. Uh, I mentioned their defensive line. Listen, man, the defensive line got just as many holes as the offensive line. Right, uh, a Jaeger convincement that Justin Jones, Angelo Blackson, Travis Gibson are ready to shut down shop over there at Soldier Field without Roquan Smith. Right, so uh, it's going to be interesting to watch that side of the ball. Watch those guys develop. Also, who what do we got in Justin Jones? No one really knows the three technique. I don't know what we got there. Right, so we'll see there. We'll see the nickel cornerback. Uh, I know I don't expect to see Kayvon Kayvon Young or Kyler Gordon or Thomas Graham. So there's top three uh, nickel cornerbacks are out this week. So I don't know what we're going to see there. But I, I'm like this team, as bad as it could be for a football guy like me, they're interesting, man. Yeah. I, I love to see guys who've never done it before get a chance. I, I want to see Luke get to be good, man. I want to see him be great. I want to see Coach Eberflus, who a lot of people have questions as a head coach, want to see him be a good head coach. Gosh, if Braxton Jones turns out to be the left tackle we've been talking about, awesome would that be? So, so I'm excited to see these young guys get out there and play. Olin. Always love talking to you, my man. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you this season as much as we possibly can. And, uh, you know, hey, it's good to see your face. Good to hear your voice. And uh, thank you for giving us some of your time, brother. Appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. Olin Krutz right here on the Full Go Podcast. The Full Go with Jason Goff. All right, that's all the time we have for the Full Go Podcast. Episode number 136. Want to thank our guest, Olin Krutz, former Chicago Bears center. Looking forward to talking to Olin throughout this season right here on The Full Go. I want to thank our production staff, of course, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the always active Jesse Lopez, my main man, Tony Gill. For the guys, I am Jason thanking you for listening to this thing, thanking you for downloading it, subscribing to it. Thank you so much to the subs out there. We truly, truly appreciate you. Thanks for rating and reviewing it, right? Even if you go on there and, you know, give me three stars because, you know, you really don't have good taste or there's something about my 
voice you don't like, yeah, thank you for pressing something. But make sure you're rating and reviewing it and giving me five stars because I'm a five-star kind of guy. Looking forward to us getting a chance to wrap on Sunday after the Bears' first preseason game. We'll talk about Luke Getze's offense, talk about how Justin Fields look. We'll talk about the defense. And we get a lot of camera shots of Roquan Smith on the sidelines. So until Sunday, I'm Jason Gall for the fellas. Thanking you so much for listening to us. And as always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other and be safe. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.